Today we're going to talk about grace. Pretty much the most paramount thing about what we believe. That even though we've done some stuff, not me so much, but you guys, <laughs> we need grace. And grace is one of these words that gets thrown around. Sometimes I think you might just call it Christianese. People go, grace, what is that? Um, and so when I was younger, I was kind of in that. I didn't really realize what grace was. Uh, and my brother, if you can imagine Pastor David at about nine years old, so much smaller, but pretty much intellectually the same. Uh, and me, me at about six or seven years old. And it's time for David to go over his vocabulary words, his spelling words for the week. And I don't know if you guys used to have to do this, but they would give you a word, they'd say, spell the word, and then use it in a sentence. You guys done this before? Okay. So he says, my dad says to David, your word is grace. And David says, grace, G-R-A-C-E. And then I danced with grace. <laughs> to which I immediately interrupted and said, you don't even know grace. She's in my class. And then he went on to give the definition, grace in this time, his one was moving with, with, uh, with a great amount of, of swiftness and smoothness. Uh, that is one way to define grace. However, I looked it up. Believe it or not, you can get into this thing right here. You can look anything up you want. And so I looked up grace. And we, I pulled up the, the top definitions for the word grace. First definition. I didn't make up this order. Merriam-Webster's dictionary made up this order. Okay. One, definition number one, unmerited divine assistance giving to humans for their regeneration or sanctification, a virtue coming from God. That's what grace means. Then you got to dig in and say, what does unmerited mean? Well, that means you don't deserve it, okay? That just means you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It is, it's not for you. It is a gift. It is not deserved. Rule, I mean, first definition is that. Next definition, approval or favor, as in, I stayed in his good graces. All right, yeah, I've heard that word used that way. Almost means the same thing. Basically, you've, you're my friend, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive a, a multitude of sins because we're cool. You're in my good graces. The difference is we can't fall out of Jesus' good grace, but I think we can fall out of each other's. So take that one home. <laughs> Next one, a special favor, a privilege. Each man in his place by right, not grace, shall rule, says Rudyard Kipling. In other words, you've got to earn where you're going to be. We don't give it out for free. It's not given by grace, whereas in what we believe and what we know to be true is Jesus freely gives us grace. Once again, we don't deserve it, but he gives it freely. Finally, used as a title or of address or reference for a duke, a duchess, or an archbishop. In other words, good morning, your grace. Okay, that's one way to use the word, but totally not anything that we want to talk about this morning. So scratch that, throw it in the trash. Grace is unmerited favor. It's a beautiful word, but it is more so a beautiful action. Grace is a word kind of like love. Love can be a noun, I have love for you. Or you can say it as a verb, I love you. 
And when we talk about grace, it's hard to use it as a verb, but we know what it is. It's an action. It's God saying, I give you this grace. Grace be upon you. Grace. It covers all as far as east is from west. Grace. And this grace is sometimes very, very difficult to understand. It's hard to accept. I've met people before that say, I understand that this thing, grace, exists. I understand that you want to talk to me about this guy, Jesus, and, and he has all these things, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. That's true, my friend, but you don't know where I've been and what I've done either. You know who knows? Jesus knows. You know what Jesus says? All who come to me, they receive grace. You cannot separate yourself from the love of God. But so quickly do we, become, do we become trained to think that way. Oh, I can't. I can't go to Jesus. He, he, he doesn't want to deal with my kind of mess. Because somehow my mess is different <laughs> than everybody else's mess. And Jesus uh, wasted no time and definitely spent uh, hours and hours of teaching on this very subject. And we get a very popular story in the Bible called the prodigal son. You guys know this story? And I get this benefit this morning. I know that uh, when I preach, typically I do like props and all kinds of funny things. Uh, today, I, I'm going to let the Bible preach because the Bible preaches better than I do. There's still going to be props and funny stuff though, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> the Bible's going to preach this one for me because I couldn't say it any better than Jesus himself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son, which appears in scripture in Luke chapter 11. And uh, Depending on which Bible you have, and if you want to pull out your Bibles, do that. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can do that as well. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles right there in front of you. Take it, use it, bring it home with you. It's a gift. Uh, we want you to have a, a Bible that you can read. Uh, but as you go to Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 15, there are a number of different titles that go above this. You guys know I'm talking about the titles that they put? Like Jesus tells the, prodigal, or the, the parable of this, the parable of that. And this one, in a lot of texts, is going to say the prodigal son. Some texts will say the forgiving father. And some texts will say the unforgiving brother. All three of these people exist in this story. And as we go through it, I just want to see kind of how you relate with each one of them. It's going to be important later. So, going into Luke chapter 11, verse 15, it says this. Then he said, who's he? Jesus. Jesus said. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent them to his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I guess we don't have the scripture on the screen, but that's okay. Here's the story of the prodigal son so far. Father, give me what I got. I'll take care of it. If you're going to put yourself in someone's shoes, put yourself in the prodigal son's shoes and understand this is what every human being did at some point in their life. They said, Lord, I don't trust you. I trust me. I'll make the decisions here. You'll recognize it in the garden 
when Satan comes into Eve and says, did, Jesus, did God really say you can't eat of anything? And she goes, you know what? I don't trust God. I think I'll make my own decision. Didn't work out well for her and didn't work out well for us when we say we want to make our own decision. And in this story of the prodigal son, it did not work out for him. For as he took all these riches and whatever, he went and he blew them out immediately. In many uh, old translations, we used to say that he would go out and he was partying and he had all kinds of friends as long as he had money. But as soon as the money dried up, so too did the friends. Because they weren't friends. To a point where he was feeding pigs and he would have gladly eaten what the pigs eat. Anybody here been on a farm? Anybody know what pigs eat? It's not good. Let me just put it that way. You don't want to eat it. It's nasty. And he's saying, I would gladly eat what the pigs eat. And still no one gave him anything. Talk about being at the end of your rope. Talk about you've, you've blown out everything. Everything you possibly could have done, you're done. Verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, or in some translations, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is usually the next step in our walk toward Christ after we've walked away. Is we think, I've gone too far. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Lord, I'd rather be a servant in your household than, than be prized as your child. I know I've blown that up. I know there's no grace for me here. I've, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just come back and work, and that'll be fine. Well, it says, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Heck Yeah comes in and says, no, you get it all, my friend. It's all for you. You can't disconnect yourself from me. You can wander, but when you come back, you're still my child, and I love you, and I have it all for you. Grace, you know you don't deserve it, but I give it to you anyway. I like to think that the, that the father here, the forgiving father, looked at the prodigal son, and the prodigal son said, no, you can't do this stuff for me, and the prodigal father just, or the forgiving father just looked at him and said, no, son, that's grace. That's grace. Well, they start to get merry, as you can hear in this story. They've, they've killed this, this fatted calf. And it says, now his older son was in the field. Here comes the brother. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. 
I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. When we read these types of stories, we tend to associate ourselves with someone. For instance, if I tell the story of David and Goliath, you're David, right? <laughs> Every time. When I tell the story of the prodigal son, depending on where you're at in life, you may associate yourself with the father. I love my children, they've wandered away. If they came back, I would put the ring on, I'd kill the calf and we'd, we'd marry. All of us at some point should definitely relate with the prodigal son who took his inheritance and wasted it, denied everything that he was taught and screwed up. But what if I told you that you're the brother? What if I told you that sometimes you take this gift of grace, you love it, you're thankful for it, you turn around and you see someone else living that life you lived. Maybe they've just come back to church or, or something like that. And you look at them and you go, it's not right that they get to do this stuff. I've been in church for 20 years, bro. You just got here last week. How come you're entitled to the same thing I'm entitled to? You know what? You need to get your life right. You need to get right tonight because you've been wrong too long. Turn or burn. Are these things that we say or are they not? These are things that we say, or at least said. Because in this story, even though we love every bit of the prodigal son, we love to relate with him, we want to be him, we know we are him. We're so grateful for the forgiving father, and then we turn around and we act like the brother. No, 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 father, you don't decide who gets what. I decide who gets what, and I'm still mad at my brother. It's not really fair. It's not right. It's not Christian. It's not like Jesus. Jesus taught us to forgive. He taught us to show grace. So the next time you're driving to work and you're 10 minutes late and some guy cuts you off, <laughs> grace. As opposed to whatever it is you were doing with that one finger. I don't know. But there are so many times to have grace. I was raised uh, where we had consequences for our actions. If we were being naughty, there was a consequence for it. And the way my parents helped me understand what grace was, was every so often, because trust me, I was not the best kid in the world. There were lots of consequences for Daniel. <laughs> but when every so often it would come and I was in great fear and, oh, no, please, no, 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 don't punish me. Every so often my parents would take me inside and say, today, no consequence for your action. Today you get grace. Thank you. So amazing. Next time I'm in trouble, guess what I come out with right away? Hey, I did something wrong. Uh-oh. Can I have grace? <laughs> Amanda read a scripture this morning that said, now that we have grace, shall we sin so that, gra so that grace can abound? Should we just do it anyway? Because now that we know we have it, we should just use it all up. 
Of course not. Because we don't want to be tied to sin and death and darkness and all that stuff anymore. We want to be tied to the one who came to save us, who gives grace freely. Now here's the next problem we have as, as prodigal sons or, or the unsaved person who wants to come to Jesus is they feel like they've got to get their, right, their life right before they get here. I've had people tell me, I, I would come to church, but I'm pretty sure I would burst into flames as soon as I walked through the door. And I've told every single one of them, I've had lots of people in the church, not one time has anyone ever burst into flames. Not once. So I'd like to test your theory. Come to church. I want to see what happens. But there is this, this thing like I would, I would go for grace. I would go to Jesus right now. But I know I was an alcoholic this morning. And if I go to see Jesus and I get this grace, I'll still be an alcoholic this afternoon. Let me get that figured out. Then I'll come to Jesus. Well, in the story of the prodigal son, it says that the father saw the son coming from a long way off and made the decision there to run to him, jump on him, kiss him. I love you. We're going to figure it out together, not on your own. So Jesus does this thing that I like to call the rubber band. You guys ready? He does this thing I like to call the rubber band. And what he does is when you come to Jesus and you make a decision to follow him, I know, lots of moving parts. Uh, when you make a decision to follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus <laughs> accepts it. Look good, buddy. He accepts it, he gives you the grace, and then he starts this relationship. Knowing full well that you're still the person you were when you got saved for a moment. The change is going to happen. I got saved, I was a brunette, then I, as soon as I got, got Jesus, I was a blonde. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> not how it works. So when we come to Jesus, and I tried to pick someone who I thought looked as much like Jesus as possible. <laughs> so there's Patrick. And basically the only criteria was you had to have a beard. That's about as closest I can think of what Jesus looks like. So when we come to Jesus and we connect with him, he offers what I call the rubber band. And I have to put this on my foot now. You got to pull some more slack out. There we go. Much better. I'm starting to regret this decision. Oh, yeah. I like it. Okay. And so Jesus says, here you go. I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And we are really excited about this. Have you ever met the person who just got saved? The person who just got saved. We call them being on fire. Like, woo, Jesus, yay. And uh, here in the church, and I hate to say this again, I'm just accusing you guys of stuff all day today. But here in the church, I think we sometimes become firefighters. So we get this newly saved person. They come to the church. They're here early on Sunday. They're hugging everybody. They're so excited. And people are like, new believer, huh? <laughs> yep. They're on fire. And then they look at each other and go, don't worry. It'll go out. What a sad thing. What a sad thing. To do. Why, why aren't we all on fire like that? I mean, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to go out to work and all these sorts of things and be embarrassed all the time. People have heard it all before. <laughs> 
But when we're on fire and we're tied to Jesus, it seems so easy. It seems like I just want to be here. I want to live here. This is great. I can't feel my toes right now. Uh, this is awesome. And I want to live here. And then the old life. And then, you know, it kind of normalizes. The fire goes out. And you start to just kind of take steps away. And it doesn't seem hard. It seems like not a big deal. I'm just gonna, oh, uh, oh, this too? Oh, all right. And then you're just like, Jesus. Oh, all right. <laughs> Wasn't talking to you. <laughs> and then we continue to just say, eh, it wasn't that hard. Hey, I, I mean, church is great, but I mean, once a quarter should be all right. You know, let's just keep moving. Let's just keep moving. And then you're like, seriously, Jesus. <laughs> and then you get these other things going on, that, the alcohol, the drugs, the gambling, the, the cheating, the lying, the stealing. And finally, you're like, you know what? This is getting very difficult for me to do. Uh, Jesus, will you just, just let go? Just let go. Jesus, you're being kind of a jerk right now. <laughs> See, I, I, I know that I want to be your child, and I asked you about that before, but I don't want it anymore. I, I, I want to get off this train. I, what I want is over here, and I'm going to keep trying to get it. Just let go. I want what's over here. Never going to let go? You're never going to let go. I mean, why? Why? Won't you just let me be? It's harsh, bro. <laughs> See, I have these things I want to do. And I can't seem to cut this off. But you know what I can do is I can start relying on more and more things. I can say, I'm going to get away from you. I've got friends that can help me out. I got friends. I'm going to... See, I got it. I got drugs. I got drugs. Hook me up. There we go. Let me, Jesus, let me go, Jesus. Let me go. If I want to do this stuff, I'll do it. I've made my own choices. I will. I'll carry it until I can't carry it anymore. Until all of a sudden, the friends disappear. Can't afford the drugs anymore. Jesus, I'm tired. You, you don't. You don't want me. Do you know the stuff I've done? Jesus, I give up. I don't want to do it anymore. Bring me home. <laughs> You're gonna have to get closer, bro. It's gonna take the shoe off eventually, okay.
Here's the beauty of the rubber band that is Jesus. You can't break it. No matter how far you go, no matter how hard you try, you cannot escape the love of Jesus. As we connect with him, he begins to change us because of his infinite grace. You realize the things that you've done and you start to see them in, in other people. <laughs> and all of a sudden, maybe you have a little more patience for that person than you did yesterday. There's a book out on the wall, actually, uh, by a man named George Fox. Do you guys know who George Fox is? George Fox uh, was the founder of the Quaker Church, or called the Friends Church. And uh, he kind of didn't like what was going on in the Church of England and kind of branched off and thought uh, he saw too many people coming to church dressed in this crazy regalia, uh, what they used to call gay apparel. You know the Christmas song? Tommy now our gay apparel. Um, it was all about like wearing the gay apparel. Um, George Fox was also what we call a pacifist. So he didn't want to fight. At this time in the late 1700s, um, it was normal to carry a sword. Everywhere you go, I got my sword on me. Well, George Fox had a, a, a friend whose name was William Penn. Now, William Penn's father uh, was owed a debt by the King of England. And so, when England moved over to the colonies, that's where we live, the United States, but it wasn't called the United States yet. When he was over here, uh, William Penn's father was owed a great deal of money, and so the king said, here, I'll give you this piece of land. And so William Penn took over this big, large place, and he called it Pennsylvania. The state of Pennsylvania was owned and named by William Penn. And William Penn had began to follow and, and, and listen to George Fox and had kind of subscribed to the, to the ideals of the Friends Church. He liked this idea of kind of being different. And if you want to read about the Quakers, we were very different. But uh, he, he liked it. But what he didn't like was he didn't like taking off the gay apparel, and he definitely did not want to put down his sword. And so the story goes that William Penn approached George Fox and he saw him and he said, I've, I, I love everything about the Quaker church. I love the friends. I love everything that's going on. But I got to tell you, I don't want to put down my sword. In fact, my sword has saved my life before. It saved my life and I didn't injure the other person. It was purely by having it that this stopped from happening. Why, why do you need me to just be like you? Let me carry the sword. To which George Fox said to William Penn, carry it as long as you can. Carry it as long as you can. Until the burden becomes too great, carry it. And so William Penn left. It said that a few months later, they ran into each other again. This time, William Penn does not have the sword. And George Fox says to him, Bill, where's your sword? And he says, I took your advice. I carried it as long as I could. But he's not carrying it anymore. When we talk about coming to Jesus and the great amount of grace that he gives us, what he's saying to us is, come to me as you are. I know that you're carrying stuff with you. I know I knew you before you were born. Of course I know who you are. 
And I want to have a relationship. I want to tie the rubber band. I want to do that. All you have to do is ask, and I'm here for you. And then you're going to say, all right, Lord, I'll be a Christian, but I'm going to stick to this lifestyle. Okay, carry that sword as long as you can until the burden becomes too great for you. Now, are some lifestyle decisions going to kind of interfere with your walk, interfere with your ability to, to maybe serve in some areas? Yeah, it might. Does that mean Jesus doesn't love you? Heck no. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. You're not going to separate yourself. The rubber band is too darn strong. And when that time comes, when you've been carrying it as long as you can, and you finally give up, he will just yank you back. And he'll say, put a ring on his finger, and the best robe, and let's kill a fatted calf, and let's be merry. For that which was lost is now found. He who was dead is alive again. For we were dead in our trespasses and sin. What does death mean? It means separation from God. We're not connected with God. We're dead. We are connected with God. We're alive. Now, Jesus tells this story. Daniel does a little thing with a rubber band and Patrick and some plungers. And we go, this is all great stuff. But have you ever tried to live it? It becomes much more difficult when we try to actually live it out. Well, guess what? Jesus lived it. And we're going to look at exactly what Jesus went through with his friends. True friends. People he liked. And one of these people that he likes is named Peter. And in Matthew chapter 26, uh, we see a story about Jesus and Peter. And right before this has happened is when we've sat down, he and Jesus and his, and his apostles, and they've just had their communion dinner. And at this thing, he says, whoever dips his bread into the sop with me shall betray me. And they all wonder, who's it going to be? And then Jesus says something very interesting to Peter, who's kind of pushing his buttons. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And, and Peter basically says, I know it won't be me. I would never. <laughs> Watch out when you use the word never. Uh, I would never. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. To which Peter goes, ah, you're crazy. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 69, Jesus has been arrested. He's inside. Everyone's kind of scared, a little scared right now. And it says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about. That'd be the first time. So already he's probably not feeling great. But hey, we got away with it, and he's still kind of hanging out in this area. Verse 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. With an oath. Sounds something like this. I swear on my mother's grave, I don't know that guy. I swear it on a stack of Bibles, I do not know that guy. They didn't even have Bibles, but that would be a cool thing to swear. <laughs> With an oath. It means something. 
tied it to something. I swear I don't know the man. Well, you're taking this denial from just like, I don't know what you're talking about, to I swear it. That's how bad he's really ready to deny Jesus. Verse 73, and a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And Peter said, don't call me surely. Wait. (laughs) For your speech betrays you. Verse 74, then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Ever wept bitterly before? Jesus remembered, or Peter remembered, what Jesus had told him. You say you love me. You say you'll follow me. In fact, right now to my face, you say I'll never, ever deny you. And within hours, I don't know what you're talking about. I swear my mother's grave. I don't know the man. And then when it says he started cursing and swearing, I won't say that. We're at church. But it didn't sound good, the next thing he said. Something like, gall darn it. Don't you cotton pick and talk to me about that. It's best I can do, guys. Adamantly, violently denying Jesus. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Whoops. He told me I was going to do this. Well, Jesus would be taken away. They would put a crown of thorns upon his head. They would beat him mercilessly. He'd go to the cross and give his life for you and for me. For three days, Peter and his friends were scared. Certainly, they're coming for us next. Certainly, we need to get out of here. This is a bad deal for us to be associated with Jesus. And so they decide to do what they're best at. They go fishing. I think that's what every guy does if they can. Let's go fishing. That ought to fix it. So they go fishing. And they're out there fishing. They're not catching anything. And from the shore, they hear someone saying something like, are you guys fishing? And they say, yep, not a lot of bites, though. And the guy says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And, of course, professional fishermen are going, what a moron. I know how to fish. Thank you. (laughs) But they go ahead and throw it on the other side anyway. And they, they throw it over there, and it becomes so full of fish that this could not physically possibly have happened. And a light goes off in Peter's mind. He goes, wait a minute. That's miraculous. I know someone that does mere. This is Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming. That's what the scripture says. He jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming to the shore. The other disciples are a little smarter. They kind of tie off that net full of of fish and just go ahead and bring the boat in. I I don't know if they passed Peter on the way, but that would be hilarious if they did. (laughs) But they end up getting down there and they're sitting with Jesus. They cannot believe it's him. For a minute, for the first couple minutes, Jesus is kind of cooking the fish and whatever, and none of them will even say it. They're just like, it's him though, right? Yeah, that's, we know him. But eventually they, they kind of come to terms with, this is Jesus. And then we get this story in John chapter 21, verse 15. These guys, I'm sure, are stoked. They're super excited. Jesus is back. He's performing miracles. He's not dead. He's alive. Praise God. And then it says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, 
said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The Bible stops the story there. I kind of, whenever I read the Bible, and I think you should too, I try to kind of make the scene in my mind. The joy that they had as they got there to breakfast as they find out that Jesus is alive. And then just like out of nowhere, Jesus looks over at Peter and he's like, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. And that, that thing off the net on the right side of the boat, that was crazy. I can't believe the fish are there. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And I couldn't believe it when the tomb was empty and whatever. Peter, do you love me? This is when it says Peter was grieved. And I think Peter looked at him and said, you know all things. You know I love you. I messed up. I didn't know what you were talking about when you were talking about the crowing of the rooster and the, and the thing. I didn't realize the situation. I, 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 I couldn't do it. And Jesus says, well, now I want you to, to feed my sheep. No, Lord. No, I, I denied you. I swore an oath. I swore. I cursed. No. I don't deserve, I can't, I, I can't. This isn't, this isn't right, it's not fair. And Jesus says, no, Peter, that's grace. To take full on, full fledged denial. While Jesus is inside getting his beard ripped out, Peter's outside swearing he doesn't know him. Days later, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Because I love them as much as I love you, Peter. I love you quite a bit, and I knew that you were going to be a hothead and make stupid mistakes, and I still love you. You see, the day you came to me, I tied a rubber band around you. And you can't escape it. You can try. You can throw an oath out there. You can swear a little bit. Scott will throw you a plunger. You can hang on as long as you can. Carry it as long as you can until the burden becomes too great and then let it go. I will be here because I love you. I have shown you how much I love you by going to the cross. I have shown you that I have the power to forgive you and offer you grace by being resurrected and showing up in front of you today. I have shown you that your sin can be forgiven as far as east is from west because the person who swore and cursed and took an oath against me, I say I want you to lead the church. Jesus takes things that are broken and makes them awesome. Satan takes things that are awesome and tries to break them. <laughs> but we work for the healer, the builder, the master, the God who created everything and made one of you. <laughs> he took the time out of the stars and the planets and the rivers and the mountains to make one of you. <laughs> he doesn't make mistakes. The Bible says we are God's craftsmanship, his masterpiece. 
And sometimes we do some stupid stuff and we dig and we try and we say, let me go. And God just says, come back. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. But I've done some things. That's okay. That's grace. Now can we turn around and show grace? As my parents did when I was about to get in trouble, that this is grace. Because people won't understand it. They won't get it. They won't fathom what it's, what it, how, what? You read the scripture that says it's a peace that passes understanding. It's those things that pass understanding that make our, our minds go, whoa. And then our hearts go, hey. And our spirits say, Jesus, you got a couple extra rubber bands? Tie them on. Keep me close. I know I mess up, but I thank you every single day for your amazing grace.